episode 22 of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Happy New Year to you. This is the first episode of 2020. Excited to be back at it. Today, our talk is all about use of force. We're going down the rabbit hole with one of the best tactical instructors in Canada. Here we go. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown. A podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. Happy New Year. It's 2020, another decade in the books. Let's just try to forget it and move on. I'm excited about what's coming up next, especially this year, especially for this podcast. Over the last six months, I've received some of the most amazing feedback from you and from every other listener, and I just got to say thank you for your love and support. If you're new to this podcast, thank you for being here. Welcome. This is the Tactical Breakdown Podcast, the show for instructors and trainers in law enforcement, military, and emergency response. We are going to talk everything from mental health to tactical training to equipment to everything in between. So if you are into that kind of stuff, this is the show for you. And if you like the content and you find it actionable and useful to you in your day-to-day, think about subscribing to the podcast so you can get these episodes as they come out. Now, today's episode is with one of my friends and a fantastic instructor up here in Canada, Mr. Christopher Luzzo. Chris is a 32-year law enforcement veteran with over 20 years dedicated to the emergency task force. He's a SWAT team leader and a senior training instructor for over six teams in the unit. I think you guys get the gist of it. Today's episode, we're talking about use of force. Now, Chris is an expert in use of force in Canada, uh, so I defer to him on a lot of that. And I share a little bit of my own experience and some of the things that I've learned and some of the things that I like to pass along as well. Use of force and DT training is my bread and butter. It's one of the things I love to talk about the most. You'll probably hear that in my voice as we go through it. So I'm excited that you're here with me to bring in the new decade, the new year. And coming up later this month, on the 30th of January, we're going to be rolling out a new series called the Instructor's Roundtable. Now, if you like this talk on use of force, you're going to love this one coming up because we have four of the best instructors in the world. Some of the top names in the industry, you're going to know exactly who they are when you hear their names and we roll that out. So I'm excited for that. It's going to be going out live on video. We're going to be streaming it on our website at thebreakdown.ca. We're also going to be streaming it on YouTube and Facebook. So we're going to put all those links out there so that you can join us, ask questions, ask questions of the experts, not necessarily of myself, but of the four gentlemen that I have on the panel who are the best in the business. Super excited for that. Make sure you join us for the Instructor's Roundtable coming out January 30th, 2020. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation I had with Chris on use of force. Here we go. All right, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm happy to have you here. This was supposed to go out, or we were supposed to do this in October. We're now late November 2019. Anybody listening to this is probably going to be January 2020, so 
thank you, sir, for being here. And I, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Great. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. Um, it's an honor. I've seen a list of a lot of your other uh, guests and uh, a lot of great content and great discussion uh, has come out of some of your casts. Thank you very much. I can't take any credit for it. Obviously, that's the the knowledge and experience of the the guests that have come on the show. So they take full credit for that. And and now you are added to the mix, my friend. One of the things that first came up when we talked was use of force. That's your bread and butter. It was really interesting to me because the other day I was sitting down and talking to somebody about use of force. And we were talking about what is reasonable force or on reasonable grounds, right? As, as termed in the criminal code. One of the things, an example that a fellow trainer brought to my attention, which I love to use now, uh, is this. When you're explaining your actions, what, and we're trying to determine what is reasonable, we shouldn't be using words like assault, right? Because that is, that's the end game. It's not our job to, to say that it was an assault. The, the court will determine that. Our job is to explain what happened. So the, the example that he used for me was, imagine that in whatever city or town you're in, you take 50 people from the population. And we're talking all ages, right? Male, female, all different religions, all different races. And you take just a just a the best kind of cross-section of this town that you live in that you can. You sit 50 of them down in a room and you explain to those people who know nothing about law enforcement, nothing about security, nothing about defensive tactics training or firearms or fighting. And you have to sit and explain to them what you did and why you did it. And if collectively go, yep, that makes sense, then what you did was reasonable. And if they're like, nope, that doesn't make sense, then you probably screwed up somewhere. What do you think about that as an example? Do you think that's fairly accurate? Absolutely. That's a great way of terming it because, you know, is it reasonable? <laughs> like, does it make sense? Um, I like to look at uh, use of force. One of the key things I instruct on is I tell guys, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? There's, there's lots of times you can use, you know, this level of force but it doesn't mean you should, right? So to make it reasonable, and a lot of that is in your articulation. And don't go with the jargon. Don't go with the legal terms. Just plain English. You know, as, as a judge once uh, said in the trial, he goes, you policemen are the only people who exit a vehicle. Everyone else gets out of their car. No, suspect <laughs> exited the vehicle. No, dude got out of the car. <laughs> you know? um, and and then the whole articulation and then you know justification of that force has to be in such a manner that, as you said, your average person looks at that and goes, "Yeah, I do that too." Of course, you, and, and the, the only answer they should have is not, "Was it reasonable?" Yes or no would be, "Of course." You know, I, I did this because I was confronted with um, these these actions, these behaviors, and these are the things I saw. And, and they should look at you and go, well, of course you did that. And I'm like, if, you know, you have a fire in front of you, use a fire extinguisher. Of course you'd put the fire out. It wouldn't be like, well, I, whatever terms you want to use. So just keep it simple and to the point, you know, making, justifying what you did because you had a thought process. You started with a, a plan as rudimentary as it is, 
have a plan before you start anything, right? And that goes into your situational awareness. That itself is a whole topic, situational awareness versus um, it's more of a situational appreciation and a situational understanding yeah. as to what's going on and how you uh, have interaction in it. That's a great point. It's, it's not just being aware of your surroundings. It's how is that applicable to what you're doing? And do you understand what's happening? Not just, not just that you're witnessing it, but that you can actually move and engage and do your job effectively in that environment. Yeah. Everyone runs around saying, Oh, situational awareness, situational awareness. Well, what exactly is that? And they're like, well, you know what's going on. Well, it's more to it than that, right? Your situational aware, awareness uh, has to be more defined and expanded. Yeah, you're aware something's going on, but you know, can you appreciate it? You know, the complexity of it, uh, the extent and the effect of that uh, event on yourself and others, and then into your understanding, you know, how is the event transforming and what are your actions or inactions affecting it or directing the outcome of that situation? As a bomb tech, we call it like a positive action. I don't do anything until I evaluate what I'm doing and how it's going to affect what the what's going on with this situation and you know uh, the package that I'm working. Uh, so when it comes to suspects or people, right, um, we evaluate what's going on and we want to look at one of the two things I'm concerned about is courses of action, right? What's the most likely course of action when I do A, B, or C? What's the most dangerous course of action it'll take if I do A, B, or C? You were talking about courses of action and talking about all these different reactions that these officers can have. How do you start even beginning to build that into your training plans? How do you like, cause I know you, you put them out annually. How do you start kind of piecing these things together based off of everything that's happened the year previous and the years previous? How do you start putting that together to build out the training plan for the next year? Well, initially, when you want to set you know, your, your training for the upcoming uh, evolutions, the upcoming year, we tend to do it. We have to run the same program for a full year because we have that many officers coming through. We can't change it midway uh, unless there's something uh, exigent or extreme that has to be addressed. And we'll continue with the throughout the year and we'll do backtrack to get everyone else caught up. Um, a lot of it is you, you have to have... Uh, some in the driver's seat saying, here's the goal. Here's the objective that we want to uh, have or, our, or what our outcome will be for that year. Um, when I was senior instructor on our TAC team, it was like, okay, what's our ethos going to be for the following year? And like some years it's going to be like, okay, back to basics. You know, we've been doing a lot more high speed stuff, but some of the other uh, areas we're finding uh, we're slipping right? We're not up to standard. So back to basics and we hammer everything we would have taught them on their basic uh, attack course and run that through the evolution to all the teams. Uh, for frontline guys um, and girls, non-gender uh, specific term of guys. Um, so for our members, we'll look at you know, what's currently going on. We have to look at uh, policies and procedures. Has there been any changes? laws uh, coming in, case law, precedent set, do we have to make any changes? So and within that, if there is, then we may have to kind of shift our, our, our direction or our compass point on our training. But like the big thing that, that is, is all the extreme event uh, training that's going on. Um, we have uh, extreme events uh, popping up. 
So what are we doing about it? How are we getting our membership dialed into these type of things, as well as the regular use of force? So we look at a lot of what is, you know, our, our force engagement's been like. So you have an analyst looks after all the incoming use of force reports. Says, hey, we're having a trend of this, right? Um, CEW usage is going up, you know, or the sock rounds are they're coming back and saying, yeah, they're really good. Um, we're having this many engagements, or we're we're getting, no, we're not getting the uh, desired effect from our CEW program. You know, well, what's wrong? We're getting a whole lot uh, saying ineffective on our use of force sheets. Let's say for OC. So we have to look at that and go like, well, what determines effective or ineffective? So we break each one down and then we'll inevitably we find, okay, maybe it's a training issue. Maybe we have to review, um, say for OC uh, that, you know, maintain your distances, give it a little bit of soap time. Uh, it's not spray and go. Uh, so we look at that and then our dynamic simulation training, we look at what have been a lot of, things that are creeping up now, like where's her force engagements uh, coming from? You know, are they uh, getting a lot of uh, in cars, out of cars, around cars, or we're doing a lot of inside premises, parking lots, et cetera. So we'll look at that and then start writing our, you know, scripts per se for our uh, role players and then to guide uh, the membership into the outcomes that we want. It's interesting that you bring up like the dynamic, simulations because with everything that's changed now it's it's funny that a lot of the conversations that are centered even when i'm jumping in on linkedin or i'm speaking to other instructors or guests of the podcast everyone's pretty much on the same page that policing has changed and training is still kind of left behind we're we're not anywhere close to being caught up to even to think about looking to the future right now we're so far behind that we can't even catch our, our members up to, to the current day standard that we need to keep our members safe. Where, where do you start to address that in training? Is it, is it on an instructor level starting to implement things inside of the, the training programs where you can with individual members? Or is this something that has to get pushed up from the highest level and then come back down? Both actually. Um, we developed the, the programs. Uh, of course, they all have to be approved by command. So every scenario we write, every expected response, et cetera, gets pushed up to command. They read it. They like it, don't like it. They make their notes. They send it back down. We change it. goes through again. Other parts is um, they have an idea. They have a, a direction that we have to go, uh, maybe based on inquests, uh, based on inquiries. And then that's the you know, the direction of, of uh, the department you work for. So then you're going to have to tailor a lot of your scenarios to uh, work towards that, uh, that outcome or that end goal. When you talk about objectives that are kind of brought down from, from higher based off of, like you said, inquiries or public opinion or the, the current sitting party. And regardless of if, uh, what country you're in, whatever, whatever, uh, party or government you have in place has their own agendas. Obviously, we all know that. When that kind of stuff comes down and they say, okay, we have to start doing, um, we have to take our limited amount of in-service training days. And instead of you getting uh, two weeks for defensive tactics and use of force, 
we're going to trim that down to a, a handful. And now on your in-service days, you're going to be doing things like public relations training or this or that. Is, is that something that you've experienced? And how do you deal with that on a, on a training level? We do get that. And we might be, uh, you know, fortunate, lucky, or we have a, a command structure that appreciates a lot of this. We have a three-day uh, annual use of force or in-service training uh, program. And day one is going to be, like you say, all the procedural things, all the public relations things. And the next two days is all uh, the hands-on, all the uh, uses of force, all the decision-making processes, um, your DT. So your, and a lot of that is driven by, you know, the membership. Uh, we get suggestions from the field, you know, we'd like to do more of this and we don't need any more of that. But what we always try to do is build on last year. So like last year, uh, for instance, we're, uh, doing our engagements, uh, like, uh, shooting engagement uh, from the vehicle, right? As, as you roll up in the stop or so, and you can do your first engagements as you're getting out of the vehicle, right? And then it was moving into a structure. Uh, and then, so then we, we progress the following year. You've you got the vehicle, you got the structure. Now, how are you moving within that structure? Um, our DT program, we look at, you know, officer assaults, you know, what's been common? Uh, where do we do we see that there's a, a gap or how can we uh, improve on what they've done last year? And sometimes it's a matter of that it's good uh, where it's at. So let's just repeat it. So they get a little bit more repetition of the same thing as opposed to changing everything every year for the sake of change. So we're either building on it or uh, maintaining it, not just completely changing our direction. Very similar to what we did with the forces, um, even in a reserve unit, when we'd build out our training plan for the year, because we only have, like you said, a limited number of days, but, you know, we'd get three hours every week to do, to do something. And you would, you'd set out the training plan so that, like you said, every week you're building on what you did the previous week and the previous month and then the previous year. So you'd go from individual skills to section level, to platoon level, to company level. And then hopefully by the end of the year, you're able to function at a company or higher level with your unit effectively. And that's kind of the goal of the training cycle for the year. Do you find that it's that system is going to become more obsolete the in, in the near future? Do you think there has to be some major wholesale changes in order to to keep ahead of the game right now? Or can this be something that we we carry on with with law enforcement training for an extended period of time? I, I don't see a, a drastic change forthcoming uh, anytime soon. I mean, because the changes that we see as far as, you know, the public, uh, public's perception, you know, and what they want, it it's obviously changed. It's drastically changed from, you know, 32 plus years ago uh, when I started, but, you know, technology is a huge factor in that. Um, but as far as a uh, major change, I mean, people are fighting and we're using uh, intermediate, you know, hands uh, to intermediate force options to lethal force. There's not that much that we're going to change in that. And I think where the, the change uh, goes is when we start really working on our, our membership in their decision-making, their critical thinking, 
you know, like in anything we do, it's not much difference. Uh, we have a big thing that people, there's always a debate about qualifications versus training, right? And that it, it's a discussion that will never get solved. Some people are like, quals have to be, you know, cover all the bases and you just can't. There's certain things that aren't measurable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to a point where you compare it for the passive fail or a percentage point. I always look at, like, especially it's the firearms quals. A lot of people say, well, we should have you know, more mag change drills in our quals. We should have stoppage drills in our quals. I equate it to your PDO, like your police vehicles operations, or getting your driver's license. You don't learn to drive on these things. You just tell me, can you, you know, show me, can you pilot this vehicle down the road, keep it between the lines, don't hit anything? Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. Okay. You know where the buttons and the switches are? Pass. It's not, you don't take your driver's test on the skid pad and doing J turns, K turns and high, high pursuits. That's in your training. So when it comes to the firearms, keep the qual simple. Can, can this, is this person competent with a firearm? Yes. Or no, no, then no point continuing, right? Gun comes away. They got to come, come back for remedial. Passing the qual do fine. We move on to your training now. Now we're going to put you into uh, faster draw times, uh, evaluation of, of uh, shoot no shoot targets as they do their turns. We're going to uh, inject um, like dummy rounds. We're going to inject uh, mag changes, uh, positional shooting, uh, shooting on the move. These are all things that it, they're hard to score uh, against each other. I mean, you could score yet, yeah, the person couldn't do it at all, but it's not a qual. That's training, right? And we'll build on that to get them better. It's really interesting. The way the way I hear that coming in is basically the qualification is the can you use your weapon? And then the training is the when and how should you use your weapon? Um, and that kind of plays into one of the things that I know you love talking about, which is like we, we mentioned before is the dynamic simulations training and starting to tie in together all of these types of training, whether it be firearms, defensive tactics, communication, all those types of things, all into one cohesive training simulation, as opposed to the way it used to be done, where it was just firearms and then just defensive tactics. And and now we're starting to roll these all, all together. Where do you see that going? What are you guys doing right now for that? And that's the, the beauty of the, the DST or the dynamic simulation training, as you said. It rolls it all together. And I always look at uh, when I was training the teams and I was a team leader on the, on the tag team, and now rolling it out to frontline guys. I spent 20 years on the tag team, right? So a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, SWAT guys are saying, well, goes back to our reasonableness. Of course you do that. Of course you do this. Frontline guys don't get that same type of training, so they're not, um, you know, it's not ingrained in them. A lot of the tech guys are, they seem to be a lot of slower on doing things, right? But they're very fast, but they seem slow because, you know, smooth is fast and you don't have to be you know, running around doing anything. They're like, they're evaluating things on a better pace. Um, so when it comes to the DST, uh, like I said, in, in the tech world, we divide our training. You have technical training. So the actual functioning of a firearm or, uh, technical aspects of using your intermediate force options or tear gas or arms or DDs or explosive entry. And then you have your tactical training where you've taken your technical aspect, you've uh, become proficient in that, 
And now let's put it into um, an environment that's changing, a situation that's evolving. And can you apply this technical aspect into a dynamic situation where things are going to change and it's not just flat, but now you have to think about all your other options. And that's really uh, where it helps our frontline guys. Because now when they're out on the road and they have an engagement or they're uh, in a situation, they can go back into their drop-down menu and go, hey, I've done something like this before. So they're we're stacked in their toolbox. They have experience uh, in these type of calls, right? So if it's, um, you know, simple things like, you know, range estimation, right? How far away is this individual? Um, especially when using like uh, beanbag rounds or sock rounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Ask, ask your average person like, well, how far is 20 meters or 60 feet? I'm like, uh, it's about there. You know, so we'll actually bring them out into the outdoor environment. And here's your distance. That is 60 feet. That's the maximum you're going to be. So they can start evaluating it and how many car lengths it is. Uh, when we're inside, we look at, uh, say, CEWs. And you go, well, here's a room. And you're looking at uh, 8 to 15 feet is your optimum, maybe. Um, how big is the room? Right. And inside a house, okay. Dining room, 15 feet by 20 feet in a larger one. So now you're getting it into perspective. So now when you enter an environment, it's not, I have no idea how far I am. Right. Now you don't have to get in so close, let's say. Um, so it's a lot, uh, going into the tactical aspect, but first you got to get your proficiency and your technical aspect. With that, when we started the conversation, we were talking about use of force, and you've brought up a few different tools that uh, that officers currently have on them right now. Is there any tool, and, and I guess we'd more so be talking less lethal right now, that you are finding with your agency that is becoming less effective over time or that it's not making sense to continue with those options because you have better options now available? I always like a full toolbox. So, but I look at it, and again, as I said, you know, we'll, we'll look at use of uh, uh, intermediate force options. Let's say, you know, the number of times people have been using their uh, aspiton declining, um, use of OC. I hate the term pepper spray, but use of uh, OC declining. And I always wonder, like, well, why? Well, arriving in the CEW is uh, a big factor. So sometimes it's uh, competing technologies or one technology uh, works a little bit better, but you can't discount some of the other uh, usages. And then some of it is uh, possibly a lack of understanding or lack, lack of experience using those other force options. A lot of guys, uh, a lot of individuals haven't used the OC and they say it doesn't work. And as I said before, well, let's evaluate it. What, what's your definition of effective? Mm-hmm. Right, uh, or what you what you perceive the outcome should be with these uh, force options, the beanbag rounds, or like say the the DefTech drag drag stabilized, or the CTS uh, super saw, same thing. What's your perceived uh, outcome of using one of those? And if they don't really know because they haven't you know dialed in on the on the technical aspect of it, the tactical aspect is going to start failing. You know, completely different outcomes between like a CEW and an impact munition, 
impact munitions, pain compliance, right? CEW, you got your uh, neuromuscular incapacitation, right? Is locking you up, right? So one has a, an actual effect that, you know, um, design that you can't override. The other is pain compliance. And we know there's a lot of people who take a lot of pain or drugs, alcohol, uh, mental uh, uh, issues or illness can override that as well. So what was your perceived outcome of this uh, usage? Yeah, when I when I first think of that, I think of what is, it, it comes back to what is the suspect doing? What is the officer doing? The, and it comes back to the individual really, because if the officer, like say, for example, um, I know a few officers that have studied Filipino martial arts for their entire lives, that... I mean, when they get the opportunity to to pull out a baton, they're they're giddy because they've done stick training for 20 years and they can use that thing like a scalpel. Right. And they use it for everything. I mean, they're like taser. I don't need no taser. Like I got <laughs> I can do everything with this. Like I'm good. Right. But then you have people that come in, whether maybe the officer is less, I'm going to say less physically um, capable than some other officers that come in that are very highly trained, you know, fighters or whatever. And then their go-to is going to be something more to where it's a more of a distance type. Um, and it's, it's going to be dependent on that situation and on that officer. When you have those differences, how, I mean, I mean, it's always been from an instructor standpoint, that's always been the most difficult thing is we have a standardized training plan and now we're trying to make it effective for every individual. And that can be extremely difficult. Are there any tools that you can think of, or is there any, any ways of individualizing the training content using an individual's needs? That, does if that make sense? It, it it makes sense, but I'm trying to wrap my head around how we're gonna how to actually roll it out individually. I mean, there's certain criteria that have to be met. You have to meet standard on A, B, C, D, and E, right? Um, in your context, you know, this guy's really good with uh, stick work. That could be a hindrance too, right? You know, you, uh, you're really good and you're striking somebody, you get some solid strikes in there, and all of a sudden it's like, well, of course you cause these injuries because you have X skill set. Um, and then, or are you bringing other officers too close now that you've gotten yourself too close? But like the whole point of all our intermediate force options and going to the limbs, like the left limb less lethal impact munitions is distance because we all agree that distance gives us time and time gives us the ability to start making decisions. With all of the use of force options that officers currently have available, is there a way to train out reliance and dependence on any one given use of force option? I think by doing what we're doing is training on all of them and giving them enough proficiency in the usage and also in the technical understanding of the limitations of each one. We harp on it. Like nothing is a hundred percent. Nothing is, you know, the be all to end all, right? It doesn't matter what you're using. And our big push and my big push is that the de-escalation. And I I know it's the buzzword that's going around. Everyone goes, did you use your de-escalation techniques? Well, what is that? Right. Truly, the only person that you can de-escalate is yourself. 
Right? And once you start getting yourself into a calmer position, you can make those decisions and then look at your own skill sets on each of your uh, force options and go to the one that's going to be uh, giving you the best outcome. Um, not just physically, but ultimately uh, legally at the end of it as well. Two things real quick. I want to talk about that, the de-escalation and, and what's current right now and what's currently out there or being taught for de-escalation, if we're going to use that term. The other thing I just wanted to touch on real quick for anybody listening, we've referenced CEWs a few times. That's a conductive energy weapon or more commonly known as the taser. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I have no idea what the hell they're talking about, we're talking about uh, the taser or a CEW. So anyways, I digress. Uh, I want to go back to the uh, de-escalation. What currently are you guys teaching at your agency when it comes to de-escalation and how are you rolling that into your dynamic scenarios? Okay, well, a lot of it is, like I said, you know, we, we run down it. We say de-escalation techniques. And a lot of that we build into is your critical thinking abilities, right? You're surviving verbal conflict. Uh, don't get sucked in and goaded into things. And, <clears throat> excuse me, like I said, your critical thinking. And a lot of that we push on is, do you have a plan when you're going to a call? It doesn't matter how big or small the call is, right? Do you have a plan when you start? <clears throat> One of the things we like to, to be on the basis. So <clears throat> Adam, you and I are going to say apartment 302 at, you know, 123 any street for a noise complaint. So like anything, we're going to go up because there's a noise complaint. But let's start with a plan. So I'm like, hey, Adam, if we're going to, if someone's going in, I'll do the cuffing. We have a start point. At least that way, if we're going hands-on with somebody, you know you got to start working in such a manner that I can get the cuffs on the individual. Not that we're both standing there with no cuffs or we're both standing there with cuffs and nothing's being done. Mm -hmm. right? So if we start with a plan, right? And the number one thing is, <laughs> number one rule in de-escalation is don't escalate. <laughs> what? <laughs> you got to be kidding. <laughs> I'm you, it's, that's the technical aspect. Don't call the guy an asshole. That does not work very well. Yeah, and in the history of mankind, calm down. Yeah, it never worked. Right. Try it at home. <laughs> yeah. Get, get the last so, word in. That's just the first words of the next argument. Super funny. I want to take this back to the very first episode I did with my buddy Grant, um, who's a correctional officer, and our talk was all about that and how when you're when you're speaking with your spouse, um, how if you don't give time and space and let them kind of calm down on their own, and it doesn't matter what you say when you go back up to speak to them, it could be I'm sorry, honey, and it's Mount St. Helens all over again, right? So um, it's uh, that's really funny because it takes me right back to our very first episode. So anyway, I'll let you continue. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, so in, in that we teach like the whole critical thinking aspect, right? And one of the, the crucial points of that is we look at what do you see and like what what assessment uh, of the information are you doing, right? And that information is not just uh, what's on your CAD, the information that's being told to you by uh, uh, the call taker as you're en route or anybody else who's updating. But when you get on scene, you know, what do you see? What do you smell? What do you, what do you hear? Uh, what are you feeling? These type of things. So from there, you can start developing a better picture of what's going on. And then you determine what has to be done, right? Like what do I have to do? And the next huge question is, do I have to do it now? 
Uh, if you look at an individual, like just, you know, just um, really ramped up, really animated. And we know has to get arrested for whatever the, the issue was to begin with, right? Has to get arrested. Do I got to do it now? Right? Do I have to rush in now and put the arm on him? Sometimes yes, um, due to you know imminent threat to uh, to others. But other than that, like, do I need to do it now, or can I wait till maybe this events out a little bit, or I get more resources here, or you know we use our tactics and get into a better position? You know, um, do I have the uh, the resources or uh, to affect and rest uh, efficiently? Um, you know, uh, by way of, do I need other uh, force options here? Do I need some uh, bean bags or sock rounds or so, or somebody who has a taser CEW? Um, do we have a cuff plan, uh, etc.? Right. So, look at that and critically think out your plan and how do I want? What, what do I want the outcome of this call to look like? And we start working these into our scenarios. Uh, we start like with. Uh, uh, tabletop discussions, and then we move in into our uh, dynamic simulation training. So the role players will act out, you know, aggressively or uh, very agitated, and we get into these people just talking to them, right? Like the basics. Uh, Hi, I'm Chris. You know, how can I help you? Uh, as opposed to drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife. You know, put your hands up, put your hands up, put your hands up. Get out of that loop, right? It's that loop that prevents uh, the membership from, you know, thinking uh, what's the outcome. So we get them forcing them to to look at what they want the outcome. They can start looking at the different steps to get there. Like I said, we we build each year. So uh, the other years we've done a lot of the uh, behavioral change stairway model on how to speak to people, Uh, you know, starting with rapport um, or starting with the introduction, get rapport, moving in for a test for influence, getting influence, and you get your behavioral change, right? It takes time. And, you know, there's never a rush to get a lot of these things done. Mm -hmm. I love what you said because it's something that's actionable right now for anybody listening to this that's maybe listening to this uh, before their shift or they're going out on a call. The, The three kind of things that you listed off there, before you step out of the car and you go into that call that you have a plan or at least you think of some type of a plan with if you're in by yourself or you're with a partner or there's multiple units then what do you have to do meaning what is going to be the eventual outcome of this call out and then while you're in the middle of it do i have to do this right now do i have to engage right now do i have to handcuff right now you know it's it's and it's going to be obviously situational but this is a process that these officers can go through right now in their heads, um, like starting today. So thank you for bringing that up. I think that's really important. Yeah. As we said, like even from earlier, we, we look at, it goes into your situational awareness and your appreciation of the complexity of it. And then your understanding of how are my actions going to alter the course of this event? Right. So let's start steering it. You make my actions steer this event to where I want it to go. Yeah, absolutely. So what's uh, what's coming up next for for Chris? Do you guys have some training courses that you're going to be running right away? Do you have some some different stuff that's going on in uh, on your uh, personal life with your training company, or, or what's going on with you? Training wise, um, in my own company, uh, developing a, a few of the different programs. Uh, we have uh, 
of a good solid cadre of instructors that I use. Uh, so we got some of the TECC and TCCC put out there. We're going to be rolling out a little bit more into the new year, uh, as well as a lot of the uh, impact munitions and that. So um, de-escalation is another one. I got a program together for de-escalation and uh, conflict resolution, uh, more of a corporate entity of it uh, rather than the frontline officers because people are people and you see the amount of workplace violence that's going on out there and not just between coworkers. I'm talking, you know, customers coming in being so agitated. So sometimes there's conflict in the workplace with, you know, contractors coming in and now they're at odds with basically whoever's running the, uh, uh, the environment that they're working in. So that's coming up. But uh, most of it uh, right now, doing our year-end wrapping up uh, the last uh, straggler, so to speak, for this year and wrap, uh, putting together a 2020s program and, again, building on everything this year. One thing I want to do first, um, and I kind of jumped the gun and I apologize for doing that, but I want to give you, before we move on, I want to give you a chance to kind of summarize or recap if there's anything about um, what we've talked about with the de-escalation and the use of force that you'd like to to still bring up or is there anything that's kind of on the top of your mind with that with that subject right now not really i think we uh covered a, a wide base we look at the technical training of what we have and i always like to compare it between like an engineer and a hacker right i look at uh or an engineer would look at these products and go, or the, the, these platforms, et cetera, and how can I make them better? Whereas we should be more of the hacker mindset. And it's like, what else can I make this do? Right. As opposed to, can I just make this better? Or what else can I make it do? Like multi-purpose are things. Mm-hmm. Um, impact munitions. You know, we're all, we're all big on like, yep, here's the, uh, here's the thing. Guy's got a knife or a bat and he's this far away or whatever he's got. We can, you know, uh, launch our rounds. Like, and big discussion uh, or a question I put out when we're doing um, active attack or IARD or whatever you want to call it, training in, in the malls and the schools. I ask all our operators of these, I go, oh, are you going to bring your uh, your impact munitions with you? And ever, inevitably, they're all going, no way, no way, no way. I'm, saying, I'm not talking about leading with it. You lead with a gun when it's an active attacker, but you know, bring it, sling it, and bling it, bring it. I mean, there's so much you can do with uh, these things if you think outside the box. And again, going to our planning process, when uh, we do our training and uh, we ended up using lethal force and we shoot somebody, or even if we do it with an impact mission, there's no rush to get up to this individual for coughing and everything else. Like, slow it down, make sure the rounds were effective, was the result of what you want uh, as you expect it. Right. And then let's get a plan together for cuffing. You know, are you good? Am I good? Uh, you know, no extra holes or anything. We're good. Our, our weapons are all topped up. They're, they're ready to go if need be. And we have a plan for cuffing, you know, and before we even go up, let's assess what's going on with that individual. Right? Is it safe to go up? Medics do it like behind the windshield, you know, gas, glass, fire, wire. Should I get out of the truck and move up to them? Why is the policing community always just running up to these guys? It's no rush. Right, keep them mm-hmm. under uh, undercover, right? And we can go up. Uh, so with the impact munitions, I look at okay. Here's a scenario: you've shot somebody. He's lying on the floor. He's got a gun still in hand, and your approach is only, you know, going towards so he can see you. Gun still in hand. Are we making that approach? 
want to put a uh, you know a, a less lethal round into that arm that's by the handgun or other weapon, right? They'll tell you, a he's still viable to fight because he's not going to be able to you know um, fake his way through the pain of an impact munition because he doesn't know it's coming. Different, you know, when you're trying to you know, waking up the the old drunk, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Doing a sternum rub, you know, some of those guys could take that and just you know fake it out. Uh, also, it'll move that arm away from that firearm, let's say, right? Give you that edge. So, so many things you can do with uh, your, um, your your different tools, right? So, think like a hacker as what else it can do, not just, you know, how to make it better. I like the think like a hacker, right? Try to, try to do something with it that somebody else hasn't thought of before, right? That's how things progress. So, that's, uh, I love that uh, terminology. That's great. If uh, if somebody wants to, if somebody's listening to this and they want to get a hold of Chris or they want to uh, touch base, uh, whether from another agency or another trainer, how do they uh, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, they can either go through you or uh, info at haybox.ca. Perfect. Well, that's uh, that's easy for everybody, <laughs> yeah, especially the ex army guys. Everyone knows what a haybox is. <laughs> what uh, is haybox? Is that going? To, is that your website for your company or? Yes. Yeah. Haybox.ca. Okay. Awesome. So heybox.ca to check out what Chris is doing. And uh, and thank you, man. I really appreciate you taking the time and jumping on the call with us. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm sure this will be first of many conversations we get to have and information that we get to share. So thank you for doing this with me. And I can't wait to have you back. Perfect. Thanks, Adam. I really appreciate it. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Take care. All right, that wraps up our talk with Chris. If you want to learn more about Chris, you want to get a hold of him, you can visit thebreakdown.ca forward slash 022, or you can check out his brand new website at thehaybox.ca. Next up on the chopping block is Scott Savage. Scott is not only the founder of the Savage Training Group, but is a former SWAT officer, negotiator, and incident commander in California since 99. In our interview, we talk about what happens when you get called out and you have the wrong information. How do you make your decisions? What do the commanders need to be doing? And what do the operators need to be doing from a tactical level to make sure that they stay safe and they keep the communities safe as well? Scott is also going to be on our panel for the Instructors Roundtable, taking place January 30th, 2020 at 1800 Central Time. That's 1600 Pacific, 1900 Eastern we're going to roll out a ton of content prior to the instructors roundtable live broadcast. So if you want to submit questions, if you want to be part of the action, we're going to let you know exactly where to be and how to do that. Thank you again for joining us on another episode of the podcast. If you haven't already, and you like the content, you find it actionable and useful to you. Think about subscribing to the podcast, rate, leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. And we'll talk to you next week on the tactical breakdown. Stay safe.